Another day, another dollar makes you wonder where your money went. Hi, folks. This is Jack Spirko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing times, the changing world, and the things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tough. Or even if they don't dictate, it is almost always the case during my 50-mile commute between Arlington and Frisco, Texas, for my personal mobile studio, my 2006.5 Jetta Diesel TDI. Uh, for those of you that wrote in recently and told me, sometimes you sound like you're in a big room or underwater, I'm in a car driving right now 78 miles an hour, getting ready to pass a giant rock-hauling truck and weaving in between as I speak, a big old uh, silver Chevrolet with a bunch of bikes on a rack behind it, okay? That's why I sound that way if you're new to the show. And the sound won't change except when I get the opportunity, rare as it may be, to broadcast from my home studio. All right, moving on. Today's show, what we're going to be doing is talking about severe weather, assessing your uh, potentials for severe weather, what the most likely severe weather would be in your area, uh, staying alert and attuned to what's going on, and being prepared for anything from minor inconveniences to major disasters. I think that's a topic we probably haven't covered enough here, but you'll see today that we've really covered it a thousand times in another way. I'll kind of talk about that as we go on. Um, But before we do that, let's go ahead and do our housekeeping. Number one. Um, make sure you're supporting the advertisers on our website. Our website, again, is thesurvivalpodcast.com or thesurvivalpodcast.com. There's a the or a the before survival podcast, depending on what part of the country, I guess, you're from. Uh, today's advertiser of the day is uh, SOE Tactical Gear. Uh, these guys build the best equipment that I've ever seen of its type. Um you know, uh, John Willis, who started the company, originally started out just making custom equipment for special operations soldiers, Navy SEALs, things like that. Uh, they are absolutely one of the most solid supporters of the show that we've ever had. They've donated thousands of dollars in equipment and gear that's been given away to our audience. I'd also like to say, if you won something from John, uh, his gear, his equipment, and you received it from me when I mailed it to you, think about uh, sending him a quick email. Go by his website. You can contact him there. Uh, um, you can find his banner on our site. Just go by and let him know and let him know what you thought of his equipment. He said he's not really heard from any people um, that actually won stuff that he donated that we did in listener contests. So uh, if you, I know we sent a, I sent a ton of it out, so you guys let him know. Uh, number two, I, I would like you to consider joining our discussion forum. It is at thesurvivalpodcast.com slash forum, or there's a link off the main page. Um, it is a great group of people. The more, the merrier. Tremendous amount of information there. Uh, Region 6 is having a get-together put together by Shannon Appleby. There will be a link in today's show notes. Um, if you think you, that the show is worth more than a quarter an episode to you, every time you listen to the show you think, you know what, I'd pay a quarter for that. Consider joining the Member Support Brigade, uh, and not only will you help support the show, but you'll get exclusive content that is only available to members. And I'm going to slow down my speech here as I weave myself in front of somebody else that's a jerk and just simply did not want to let me merge so I could exit I-20 on the Spur 408. I think this is going to be a great day for an auto rant, folks. I can feel one building. Uh, next thing. Um, 
yesterday I got two emails. One about my use of the word ass clown, and one from somebody that I will call an ass clown. Um, we'll call the ass clown that I, or the person that emailed me that I'll call an ass clown, we'll just call her B. And if she's still listening, which I doubt she is, um, she'll know who she is. I don't want to give away her name. That would be right, even though she's an ass clown. Well, this ass clown sent me an email. If you're on my email notification list, every time I publish a show, you get a quick little email that just says, hey, today's show is about whatever, blah, blah, blah. Well, the ass clown sent me an email, and it was in all capital letters. And it said, never send me another email again, exclamation point. I am a right-wing nut, and I never want... TV, followed by about 10 exclamation points. So I sent this ass clown an email back, and I said, Dear ass clown, you are also a jerk. Because the only reason you ever got an email from me is because you requested it. Trust me, I don't spam anyone. Since you are so obnoxious, I assume that you are unable to read the full email and notice the unsubscribe link at the bottom. I have clicked it and unsubscribed you. You will not receive any further emails. Good, uh, Goodbye and good luck. That was pretty close to what I said back to B. I never heard from B again. Hopefully I won't. But, folks, this person is an ass clown. I don't know what I did to upset him. Maybe I called George Bush an ass clown yesterday, and she's a right-wing nut. Maybe that pissed her off. I don't know. I really don't. But if you ever want off my email list, don't send me hate mail. Click the link. I use an automatic tool. I've never put anybody in there manually. Um, I don't spam anybody. You only get emails from me by request. They are daily as long as I'm doing the show daily, so you know that before you... You know, request it. It just lets you know that there's no show published. You can opt out any time. It's a real opt out. I'm not selling you Viagra. Don't be a jerk to me. I'm not a jerk to you. All right. Um, the next thing is somebody emailed me and they're like, why do you have to call the President of the United States an ass clown? It's not right. Can't you give his office the respect that it's due? No. No, he doesn't get respect because of his office from me. He works for me. And he works for you, too. So pull your head out of what we used to call in the Army our fourth point of contact. All right? And hold the man accountable for the damage he's doing to our nation. And, you know, I think this person was an Obama supporter. And I guess they didn't hear me say, George Bush was an ass clown. George Bush Sr. was an ass clown. Bill Clinton was an ass clown. All these guys have been destroying our country for the last 20-some years. In fact, the, the, the destruction goes back further than that. But these last four, I don't know what's wrong with people putting people like these in charge of our country. It's absolutely insane what we've let these ass clowns do. And I'll call them ass clown all I want. If you don't like it, I'm sorry. That's what they are to me. Uh, next thing. Um, I got an email last night from James Yeager of uh, Tactical Response. Uh, from a friend of his, and I can't remember his friend's company, but they're running a raffle to help support a wounded soldier. One of the things you can win in the raffle is a DMPS Panther 308 rifle. Uh, I don't remember the other stuff, but it's a, it's a pretty good ally. Now, it's, it's kind of expensive for a raffle, but it's not really a raffle, guys. This is to support um, a, a, a wounded warrior. We'll just leave it at that. I'll put a link to where you can learn more about that, but I told him I'm in for 50 bucks myself. And I would let you guys know about it. And we've got a wounded soldier out there that needs some help. Uh, and this guy has stepped up and set, set up a fundraiser for him. And I'm just going to ask that you take a look at it and consider supporting it. And I'll also tell you this today. If you have 50 bucks today that you're going to spend because of this show, and you're going to join my support brigade, or you're going to spend it
it on that soldier, and that's the choice you have to make today. Spend it on the soldier. Don't spend it on me. I'll be all right. We'll get back together someday and do that. Take care of our soldiers first. They deserve it. All right. So let's get into the main topic of today's show, uh, which is severe weather. I think the first thing that we have to do when we think of the word severe weather, because the media are a bunch of ass clowns themselves, and every time they want to talk about something, they have to hype it, and they have to sensationalize it, and they, they want to show palm trees bending to touch the ground, giant floodwaters, huge waves, and they always have to show a satellite image of Hurricane Katrina, which everybody recognizes by now. It's some idiot on a rooftop because he didn't leave when he was told to. Because of that, those are the images that we see in our heads when we think of the term severe weather. That's a very dangerous thing because it will lull you into a false sense of security. Because let's say you live like I do in Dallas-Fort Worth. Then you're going to sit here and you're going to go, oh, I don't care if we get a hurricane. I mean, we've had, you know, Ike, Rita, Katrina, they all hit the Gulf Coast recently and didn't do anything up here. Well, we barely even got any rain. Out of, you know, the only thing that even gave us some rain was Ike. I mean, why am I going to worry about severe weather, if that's what severe weather is? Oh, because usually, and we've been lucky this year, but most years in this little part of Texas, especially right where I live, if you look at a tornado touchdown map right over Mansfield and southern Arlington, you'll see a great big brown dot, which is the highest incidence of tornado touchdown activity per acre. Um in the United States. That's why. So we have severe weather here. Well, if you're sitting up in, uh, you know, let's say Minnesota, you think, I really don't have to worry about, you know, hurricanes. Well, what about the blizzards and the ice storms? My point here initially is that what you have to understand is that severe weather is absolutely universal. There is no place in the world you can go where there isn't some type of severe weather threat. And that's going to be your first step in making sure that you're prepared for the severe weather that's most probable to eventually come your way. Now, let's think about disaster probability. Right? Well, this is something that I've, I've talked about on the show almost since the very beginning. It's, it's the, the fundamental that we use in making decisions about what do we prep for next. And the disaster probability matrix starts out with individual, you. Something like a job loss, death of a family member, an auto accident, right, there's a, a breakdown. Right, getting lost on a camping trip. All of these are individual or family-level disasters. They're the most probable thing that any single individual will ever experience in their time. The next one up is neighborhood and small regional. That area there. Weather events account for the majority of these small regional disasters. So they, on the probability scale, rate very highly. That sooner or later, everybody has to deal with some level of a, a weather event. Now, it could be as minor as your power being out for six hours, which is pretty much a non-event. Uh, for most people, as long as it, let's say it doesn't happen in the middle of the day, it's not going to be like 104 degrees is what the forecast is today. Elderly people in that environment have been known to pass out and die in houses without air conditioning. So in most of most situations, those, those, those are minor inconveniences, but for some people it can be quite severe. And they can range all the way up to having your house completely destroyed. And that's the reality. And there's almost nowhere in the world where the most extreme can't happen in some way, shape, or form. 
So that's the first thing I want to drive home to you. I don't want you to be complacent in your preps in regards to weather. The next thing we need to think about, though, so that we don't get overwhelmed, is disaster commonality. Remember, one of the other things that I've talked to you about from the very beginning, that you don't have to worry so much about, are you prepping for a collapse of the economy, your company to lay you off, um, to have an accident, or to have a tornado take the roof off your house. That all of these disasters have certain commonalities in them. And I'll, I'll expand on this a bit later when I start talking about what to do. But just think about all the things that we do to prep. Make sure that we have backup sources of electricity. We make sure that we have food and water. We make sure that we have food that can be stored without electricity. All these different things that we do. They all apply, and they all help us in a severe weather event. So don't get overwhelmed by anything when you start to assess your weather situation. Just stay calm, rational, and to your own plan. Remember, always I tell you, your plan is more important than my plan. You own your plan, so you believe in your plan. You just take my information, you take information from other people, and you build a plan that fits your lifestyle, your resources, and what's most important and what you're able to do. All right. Now, so what are the weather events that we, you know, when we start classifying them that we really have to worry about? A big one is thunderstorms. And I think this gets highly overlooked. Thunderstorms are the spawn of the tornado. And the tornado is the thing that, you know, you can have a big one. Uh, like the one that hit Greensburg, Kansas, that wiped out the whole town, or the one that several years ago hit Oklahoma City. I guess that was almost 10, 15 years ago now. Um, but the one that wiped out almost an entire, you know, entire quadrant of Oklahoma City it was on the ground for miles, almost over a mile wide. But a lot of times tornadoes are these little acute um, events that wipe out maybe half a neighborhood. I remember back in, I guess it was 1990, it was 2000. It was the spring of 2000 that we had a tornado here in Dallas-Fort Worth. It went through downtown Fort Worth and it basically destroyed the Bank One building. It blew all the windows out. Uh, it was uh, Oklahoma City bombing was still fresh in a lot of people's minds, and everybody that saw the paper the next day, so that's what it made them think of when they saw the Bank One building hit by that tornado. That tornado's uh, storm split in two cells. One cell kind of went due east, a little north, and the other one went south. It came right down, right through, uh, you know, honest to God, right through my backyard. Um, we had no damage from it in our home. Less than a mile away, there was a neighborhood where there were houses blown to the ground. And I'm talking, you can see the foundation and there is nothing erect in the home. How nobody was killed during that storm, I don't know. Well, the people that were, you know, owned those particular houses simply were not home by, you know, some act. Call it an act of God or grace. Uh, they weren't there. But, you know, that is the result of a thunderstorm. So thunderstorms should not be, you know, over underlooked or underappreciated. Of course there's the hurricanes. Uh, and, of course, there's winter weather, like blizzards and ice storms. I'll talk about those a bit here in a minute. But I also want you to think about in your planning for, uh, for weather, these are all short-term, imminent, boom, hits, you've got a disaster on your hands. There's other disasters out there that we don't generally appreciate how horrific they are because they're more long duration. 
And these can be things like just continuous rain to where it destroys crops, where everything starts to rot, everything becomes a mud hole. And we have, you know, flooding, but it's not the acute flash flooding. It's little flooding everywhere. And then more common than that are droughts. So keep, I'm not going to go deep into droughts and, and, and you know, excessive rainfall and cold, um, but keep both of those in mind with your prepping because you can do a lot of things to address those as well with your prepping. And, you know, let's take a look at some real events that I've witnessed and you might have witnessed too over the years of storm events that have caused major problems for people from somewhat minor to extremely severe. Let's start out with one that happened this year. Didn't get a lot of press, but if you lived in northern Arkansas, uh, Tennessee, or Kentucky, you probably took it worse than anybody else in the United States. Uh, there's a forum thread. I'll see if I can find it. It probably won't be in the show notes right away, but if I can dig it up later today, I'll append the show notes and, and add it in. But there's a forum thread I did back when this storm hit, this 08 ice storm. Was it 09 ice storm? Was it this spring? It was this spring. It was this ice storm of 09, we'll call it. And uh, there's this little radar screenshot I did off of weather.com. And the storm is only maybe 50, 60 miles wide at most points. Some places it's 100 miles wide. It's not a, it's not a huge storm as storms go. And it's this pink band of ice. So you'd think, well, that's not that big a storm, except for one thing. It might be a narrow band, but that band ran from South Texas to Pennsylvania. And it seemed like people way up in Pennsylvania where you think it would be really bad, it you know, had a little bit of ice, and it wasn't that bad. Down in South Texas and right here, we had ice. It shut down the highways for a day, and I didn't go to work. That was great. Um, in the middle of the country... Is where it got really bad. There's a guy on the forum called Kentucky Farmer. That's his forum handle. And he gives a whole dissertation of what his next two weeks were like. No power, running backup generators. It was a shit hit the fan for his family and for a lot of people in the area. That's a very recent event. And that could have affected anything between South Texas and Pennsylvania. Anything. Any spot in there could have been where it was worse where it was most severe, and then the severity area, mostly, again, northern Arkansas, Tennessee, and Kentucky, could have been much much broader. And I want you to understand that as that storm went across the country, it wasn't just like it cut right, you know, between Pennsylvania. Like a, It kept going east, and it kept doing damage as it went. It did damage all the way out to the east coast. And it put a lot of people without power. And we didn't hear that much. The media talked about it a little bit, but not much. Because it wasn't sensational. There wasn't much to show. Oh, people have power out. Yeah, we'll talk. Yeah, X number of million people without power. Blah, blah, blah. Let's talk about, you know, something like, uh, oh, I don't know, Lindsay Lohan's next diet. That's how the media handled it. But it was real. In 2004, you can't even find anything about this on the Internet today, but I remember it because I was here. We were just moving back to Texas from Pennsylvania. There was a thunderstorm bank that went through the North Texas area, and if you guys live in this area, you may remember this. There was one or two tornadoes in it, but the tornadoes weren't the real problem. There were straight-line winds over 100 miles an hour, and it left damage from west of Dallas to east of Texarkana in Arkansas. It did over $500 million of damage. 
It was the most expensive storm that ever hit the Dallas-Fort Worth area in total lost dollars. More expensive than the tornado one that blew up the Bank One building that I told you about earlier. It didn't get sensationalized. The media didn't talk about it. If you didn't live here, you probably didn't even hear about it. Why? Because the damage was spread out in minor damage. Sheds, uh, roof damage, vehicle damage, uh, fences down, things like that. Fences accounted for a huge portion of the damage. But, of course, that taxed the insurance industry. People were trying to get things repaired. Uh, things were damaged all around. And the interesting thing in all of these, like with the fences, the fences in one neighborhood I saw, all of them blown down one street, the next street over, all the fences standing up. The giant tornado that came right through our backyard didn't really touch our neighborhood. The same place where there were houses flat to the ground, you know, right next door, there was a house with maybe one two-by-four in the roof. The next house was completely fine. The next house had a few shingles missing, and then the next house flat to the ground. It's weird the way these things happen. That's why you have to prepare. But that thunderstorm is a perfect example of why you don't even need a tornado. You don't even need flooding. When the wind gets up over 100 miles an hour, it starts tearing things apart. Um, you know, the big hurricanes everybody thinks of. Rita, Ike, and of course Katrina. Katrina was the only freaking hurricane we ever had if you listen to most people that are sheep. If you don't live down on the Gulf Coast, you know, you don't even, I guess, you know, these people don't even think about these other hurricanes. And I'd like to remind everyone of one that was actually probably a lot worse. It's just that the people that lived there reacted to it better and it didn't get sensationalized. The big thing about it is most of the damage was done on an air base where the military was in control so it didn't have a lot of breakdown. But it totally wiped out huge swaths of South Florida. It was called Hurricane Andrew. Uh, and that was back around 91 or 92. So I would like people to please remember that there were other freaking hurricanes and that there will be new hurricanes. And I'm really tired about hearing there's still these people, these poor Katrina victims are being thrown out of their FEMA trailer. You know what? If you are on any kind of assistance from Katrina at this point, unless you're physically disabled... Okay, and you were physically disabled due to injuries sustained there, get off your ass and get off the dole. That's all I can say with that. But, you know, understand that these hurricanes can cause damage many miles inland, and understand that, like, the, what you see on TV is the most sensational bullshit with the most hype the media can find. And understand how many people in Mississippi and Alabama were without power and suffered during Hurricane Katrina. You'd hear a damn word about them because the media didn't think it was sensational enough to talk about. All we heard about was New Orleans, folks, and that one pisses me off. But I wanted to drive home the fact that what you see is not the totality of damage on TV. Another example of this was Tropical Storm Fay. What? Tropical Storm Fay, I, I don't think I've ever heard of that, most people would say. If you live in North Florida, you heard of it. It happened, I think, last year, maybe it was a year before. It was a, uh, a rather weak, wind-wise tropical storm. Didn't blow any buildings down. Didn't really cause any tornadoes. Not a bunch of hail. Nobody got fried by lightning. You know, there, there just wasn't much for the media to talk about except for, oh, oh, I remember now. Oh, yeah, Jacksonville, Florida was basically underwater for three freaking weeks because this storm hit North Florida, and it hit a front, and it stalled. And it moved so slowly, and it just dumped gallon upon gallon upon gallon per square foot of water. 
and caused severe flooding throughout Jacksonville and the entire North Florida area. But your media didn't think it was they you know, took a little picture on it, some guy standing on a car. Okay, let's talk about Britney Spears. Folks, these things are real. They happen everywhere. And the reason you hear a little bit of anger in my voice is I feel for the people in these regions that, you know, our news media didn't think were important enough to ask for help for the way the morons that stood on, sat on roofs after they were told to leave for a week and didn't leave. We're going to help them, but we're not going to help people that ended up in these other situations. So that's why I get a little bit agitated. So I'll try to come off of that now. But let's talk about kind of the what are your needs to prepare for weather events, regardless of what they are, whether it's you know severe winter weather, whether it's hail, whether it's thunderstorms, whether it's a hurricane, where it's flooding, doesn't matter what it is. Well, one of the biggest things that happens in these storms and causes a massive amount of grief for people that aren't physically injured and don't have their structures physically damaged, damage is a simple loss of electricity. So that's one of the first things you need to look at being able to address. And then the biggest thing is, well, does this happen at night, and then it's dark, and then I can't find my way around my home? So you guessed that one of the first things that you need to be prepared for is to be without lighting. So that can take the, the form of, and should take the form of flashlights, uh, LED lanterns, uh, as much rechargeable lighting equipment as you can get. The stuff that you shake, the stuff that you crank, all of those good things. Now, here's my caution on that. Most of those don't have a real long life cycle. Now, you can keep them going because every time they go out, you can wind them up again. It is probably best to have a combination, and this is what we do, of you know rechargeable and standard uh, battery pack-based lighting uh, equipment. And one thing I can tell you is those LED lanterns that use, like, let's say, four D cells or four C cells, those things last a long time on a set of batteries, a huge long time on a set of batteries. Uh, now I'm passing a rack where, no, those guys probably couldn't move. they probably going to have to get a tow truck for that one. So kudos to the cops to only blocking two of four lanes. Anyway, um, those LED lanterns work massively long on a set of D-cells. One of these days I'm going to take one of my uh, LED lanterns and I'm going to throw some D-cells in it. I'm just going to see how long it lasts with a fresh set of batteries and I'll let you guys know how that works out. I'll kill a set of batteries for my audience. But those are some of the best. Now, I've heard people and I've even listened to some other uh, podcasts about being prepared that are kind of poo-pooing candles because candles can cause fires and blood. You know what? I think candles are actually great. We burn candles all the time. We like candles. Um, now, you have to have candles that are safe to burn and safe ways to burn them, but I think candles are a great auxiliary source of light as well. Uh, you do have to take your safety needs in, into consideration. But that's just one part of power. As you continue on to power, the next thing that happens when your power's out for an extended period of time is you have all this wonderful food in your refrigerator and your freezer, and it starts to spoil. Now, if it's winter weather and it's cold as hell outside, then the good news is you can probably throw it all in a cooler or a trash bag and stick it in a snowbank or an ice bank outside and let that cold work for you. Okay, then you have another problem that's making sure you have heat. Let's stick to the other side of things right now. We're going to assume it's either hot out or not cold out enough to preserve your food. And now you're without power and your food's going to spoil. Recently, we talked about a suggestion to use dry ice in your freezer and then move all your ice to your refrigerator to extend storage life or using coolers in a similar fashion, dry ice in the bottom or the top, depending whether you want to keep things frozen or just cold. 
I told you my big problem with that. You can't store dry ice long term. And in that situation, first thing that people are going to be doing is buying dry ice. So you probably aren't going to be able to get anyway any. And if it's a large spread blackout, the store probably doesn't have electricity and they're not open. So you can't go there. And even if they are open, the monkeys that work the cash registers probably can't figure out how to take cash and give change without the cash register running. And if you don't have any cash, even if they can do that, you can't buy anything. So I wouldn't rely on that. So the next thing that leads you to is it's a good idea to have a backup generator. And if you look at a backup generator in the neighborhood of like 5,500 to 7,500 watts, you're going to be able to run some of your lighting. You're going to be able to run probably a small air conditioner window unit and a refrigerator or deep freezer. And, you know, you can kind of go up from there. I'm going to get deep into generators today. But generators are not as complicated as I thought they were when I first started looking into what can I do for backups. All you have to do is make a list of all your appliances. You'll find ratings on them, how many watts they draw and what their peak wattage is. And with that, you can determine by using a little bit of math how much you can run at any one time with your generator set. The thing about things like freezers and refrigerators is you don't have to run them all the time. You can run them for maybe a couple hours and then take your gen- you know, take them off your generator and stop drawing power from the generator use them for other things. Let them go for another two to, two to four hours and then run them again and keep them closed and only open them when you're running the generator on them. If you do that, you'll be able to go a lot longer. And then another thing about your generator is you really want to have a rule that whatever you think you need for a generator, let's say I think a generator of 5,000 watts is sufficient to run everything I want to run if I run it at peak. Well, then you need to get a generator with about 25% overhead because you want to run your generator for best life and fuel efficiency between 50 to 75% of its capacity. All right? Um, We'll leave that go for all. Just know that it would be a good idea to have a generator. And one of the things I've started to consider myself is getting one or maybe even two of the very small, quiet, um, you know, one kilowatt, 1,200 watt gensets, and then one big generator to run larger appliances and only use what I need as I need it when I need it. Um, You also have to think about storing your gasoline. And I've said this before, long-term storage of gasoline is more difficult than ever thanks to our ass clowns, plural, in our government that have decided we all need to be burning ethanol and destroying our planet through the use of massive amounts of fertilizer, soil erosion, and taking food out of our biosphere, and uh, destroying our vehicles as well uh, as we watch everything, you know, kind of break down um, uh, inside our vehicles from the corrosive effects of this ethanol and ethanol separating in the gasoline. So you can store your gasoline long-term. Things like Stabil still work, still help, still recommended. But if you're storing, let's say, 20 gallons or 30 gallons of gasoline for your generator sets, just keep rotating it through with your vehicles. Dump it in your vehicle. You know, when you go fill up, fill the vehicle up and fill the can up and keep rotating it. And that'll, that'll reduce the amount of fuel. You can do that with your vehicles as well. The next thing we need to think about is water. Now, if you're like me, you might consider your pool a reserve source of water. Well, if you have an in, and I have an above-ground pool, so I think there's an advantage there, except for strong winds are more likely to damage the pool and let my pool flood my neighbors out. So that's an issue there. But if the floodwaters get up over and into your pool, your, your pool water is pretty nasty as well. Uh, the nice thing, though, is, and this is something that uh, I talked about with Johnny Max on the Brew Crazy podcast, and they've actually, they actually had to do the same thing I did for a 
told you, for reason, during the hurricane, with water out uh, down there near Houston, they used pool water to flush their toilets, and it was a big blessing to be able to do that. Um, when my uh, my well got struck by lightning when we were at the bug out location earlier this year, here, we used rain catch water to flush the toilets. And you'll not appreciate how big a deal that is until you need it, trust me. So all I'm saying with water is you need more than, you know, 12 gallons of water in your closet. You need way more than that because you need to bathe. You need to get rid of waste. Um, all these other things. So make sure that you're storing sufficient water. Another thing you need to think about is shelter. If your house is damaged, do you have things like tarps available to you know momentarily patch the roof until you can get it properly repaired? You might even need at some point, I hate to say this, but to rely on camping gear and a tent to give you some level of shelter if there's enough damage done to your home. Don't overreact to that. Just think about it. Um, you've got to have cash on hand. And again, don't these things all sound like things that we do for other disasters because of commonality, right? But you've got to have cash on, plan- on hand. If power out everywhere, your ATM's not going to work, nobody's going to be taking credit cards, people can't verify checks, right, cash will be king in those environments, so make sure you keep cash in the home, go get a firebox or a strong box or something like that, you know, attach it to the floor, do whatever you have to do to make yourself feel safe with some, you know, reasonable sum of cash in the house, put the cash in there and make sure that you have it, don't go using it as a slush fund, that is for emergencies only, if you ever take money out of it, replace it immediately. Remember, if um, we all knew what, where, and how a disaster was going to hit, it wouldn't be a big deal. So don't spend that cash uh, without replacing it immediately. In fact, I would say don't spend it unless it is an emergency. Because, you know, emergencies come up exactly when we least expect it. That's why we prep. But you've got to have cash on hand. Make sure you have evacuation plans. We've talked about a variety of reasons for evacuation. Multiple routes out of your area. Um, If you know that the government closes down certain ways out of your area and funnels traffic through and makes the problem worse because of their incompetence and their stupidity when there's a major weather event, consider jumping early if it looks really bad. The worst thing that will happen is you'll take an un plan three or four day vacation and if the, if the event doesn't hit you'll turn around and come back at least you got out while the getting was good and these are when there's going to be life-threatening situations be prepared to evac be prepared to evacuate if you choose to stay and it doesn't work out and what I mean by that is you choose to stay and your home becomes so damaged you can't live in it anymore. Be pre- have evacuation plans for that eventuality. Uh, it's, it's likely to happen. Think a lot about climate control. And I say climate control instead of like air conditioning because, well, it could be a winter event. It could be very cold. And there's two totally different situations. In the summertime or in places where you're likely to have warm weather events, there's two things I can recommend. One, go buy yourself three or four good box fans from Walmart for about, oh, 10, 12 bucks a piece uh, when they're on sale and put them somewhere into your home where they'll be safe. And 
you can run those really easily on low wattage generators. So at least you can get airflow. Consider purchasing a, a window unit that would work um, to air condition at least one small room of your home and uh, getting a, a larger generator set. So at least you can have one room in the home while you're waiting for power to be restored where you can be comfortable and at least sleep in comfort, even if the whole family ends up sleeping on the floor in sleeping bags. At least you can sleep in comfort when it's 100 degrees or more outside. I would hate to have to be in my home without air conditioning tonight especially if the air and power goes off about 4 o'clock. And remember, it's not just weather disasters. Um, our power grid is not the most stable thing in the world. And when do we have rolling blackouts and rolling brownouts? In the summertime when it gets really hot and everybody turns up their electricity. So think about having a plan for that. Because remember, we're not always prepping for the end of the world. Sometimes we're just prepping for the eventual power outage that we all experience sooner or later. With winter weather... You gotta think exactly the opposite heat. There's a lot of options there. A kerosene heater and 10 gallons of kerosene will keep a room warm or a couple rooms warm for a very long time. Some people have considerations and fears about CO2 with kerosene heaters and you know, you do have to worry about some ventilation and all, but they are a valid option. We used them for years and years and years in my family. We never had a problem. You have to watch how they burn, how much wicks up. You want to get the ones that have a safety feature that if they get tipped over, they immediately cut out. But they're a great uh, feature. F- you know, fireplace, wood stove, uh, propane-based heat, gas heat, all these things can be used uh, to provide heat for your, your house and your home in the event of a power outage. Understand that in some of these disasters, though, you could even have gas service out. And uh, it's not highly likely, but it has happened. Or you could have gas service out for a completely other reason. So if you're dependent on gas heat, uh, make sure that you have a, you know, from a from a, a utility provider, make sure that you set up a heating redundancy as well. Think about the fact that not only in these situations will your electricity not work or your gas be off, that your water will be cold if it is running. So think about ways to warm your water if you have stormed, stored water, etc. Consider getting one of those simple little camping solar showers. It's basically a big black bag with a hose on it. Hang that out in the backyard in the sunshine once the weather passes. Uh, and, and as long as you're not talking about winter time, uh, it warms water up very quickly. Or think about other things that you can do. Use your microwave running off your generator and heat up a bowl of water and mix it with a gallon of water that you're using to take kind of you know a, 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 a you know pour water on your bath and something we had to do when our well was out is you know wash each other's hair and stuff uh, by dumping water out of a milk jug we've been there well we microwaved a couple bowls of water because uh, we had power dumped it into the jug so that water wasn't so daggone cold it made things a lot more convenient remember always in these situations you can only be so prepared in the end it's how you think and two people put into two houses with all the same resources all the same preps, all the same storage, but separate from each other. One will go right through the situation just fine and find they had everything they needed. The other one will be freaked out and have a miserable experience, even though they had the same resources available. Because it's more about you and how you think and how you're creative and how you're calm in a crisis that gets you through it than it is about what you have with you. 
that doesn't mean you back off on your preps one bit. So hopefully this has got you thinking. And I want you to start to think now, based on where you live. What are the weather events that could affect you? When are they most likely to occur? What are the things that you most have to prepare for in your area? Is it dealing with heat? Is it dealing with cold? Is it dealing with flooding? Is it dealing with drought? Is it dealing with high winds? Is it dealing with hail? Is it dealing with ice? What is it? What are the things that have happened in your area or around you in the past? What did they cause to happen? And remember, every once in a while, just to check yourself, go outside. There's a circuit breaker on the side of your house. There's a great big switch that says main. Throw that switch to off for an hour. Live without power in your house for one hour once or twice a year. It will show you where your holes are, where some of your biggest holes and preparations are. During that hour, put your keys to your car in a box. Pretend you can't go anywhere with your car. There's nowhere to go. And just ask yourself, what would I do now if this wasn't going to be an hour, if this was going to be five days? That'll help you find those holes. That'll help you fill them in. That'll help you continue to prep. This has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. You can scream and you can holler. It really doesn't matter because it all gets spent.